Friday night, Lindley and I were driving through Liberty Hill, and we were reminded as we drove through that community of those who worship on our campus today in Liberty Hill. So thankful for what God's doing on that campus and in that community. I'm glad FBG is a part of that. I'm grateful for what's happening in our gym venue and the folks who gather there in that unique setting. And I'm really thankful that we have a church family that has so many opportunities to touch our community. As I was preparing this morning for this time of preaching, every Sunday morning I'm here very early. I'm, I'm spending time preparing and seeking the Lord. And I get really excited about what's going to happen in our church gathering because I am convinced as I unfold the word of God and it touches my heart that God is going to work when we gather together and open his word and so I get really excited and so every Sunday I'm, I'm, I'm ready and excited to see what God's going to do but there are some days that are different than others and today is one of those days that was different for me and I don't, know, I don't know how to interpret the different other than the Lord was really heavy on my heart. And he was working in my own life in a really different way this morning. And so I just started thinking about the times in my life where something happened that was different, that was a spiritual marker of maybe a different direction or a significant turn in my life. I thought about when I was just a young boy and made my decision to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. And I look back at that moment, that's a marker in my life. I can think about when I was 14 years old, sitting in a church service, the pastor was preaching and feeling the Lord work through that preaching to move me to a place where I had to decide in that moment, am I really going to live the rest of my life for Jesus Christ or am I just going to play around? As a 14-year-old, I remember walking down the aisle, tears in my eyes, telling my pastor, I want to live my life for Jesus Christ. I remember I was 19 years old, sitting in a church service, much like this, and the Lord saying, okay, are you ready to serve me as a pastor the rest of your life? And walking down the aisle and telling the pastor, I believe God's calling me to be a pastor someday in my life. I can, I can look back at my life, I can see moments where there are a spiritual marker that impacted the direction of the rest of my life. It's not that God was not working every single day in my life, He was. But there are those moments that become markers where I see the path of my life altered because of God's work. So this is what I've been praying this morning. This is what the deacons who gathered before the service, we prayed that today would be a marker in the life of our church. Your churches have markers like that. Things where God did something in a particular moment that changed the direction of the church that the church had no idea would, would impact their life, their community, their future. And I'm just praying that today is one of those moments for our church family. And certainly I've been encouraged to pray that way by what God has done in my heart in preparation. And I'm just expecting him to do something in your heart this morning as well. We're going to be in Revelation 12 again, because as I worked through this chapter, I felt like there were 
two parts to this chapter. One, addressing the spiritual warfare that we each face personally as we hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ, knowing that our enemy is raging against those who hold to the testimony of Christ. We looked at this vision, this story in Revelation 12, and today we get the rest of the story. So let me remind you of the story in Revelation 12. We see a woman in the heavens who is with child, who has a crown of 12 stars over her head. She's the moon at her feet, and she's clothed in the sun, and there's a red dragon who's coming after the woman who wants to destroy the child when the woman gives birth to this baby boy. She gives birth, the baby boy is then taken to heaven and seated on the throne of God. And the red dragon, the devil, is not able to attack the child. And so the red dragon levies his attack on the woman. We see this this waging of war in heaven where the red dragon and his, his angels are in battle against the angels of God. And the red dragon and his angels are defeated and cast down to earth where the red dragon pursues the woman. But the woman is taken to a place and a time of protection. And in the red dragon's fury... He readjusts his focus to those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so we know that the devil's attacks are levied against the church. Those who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. But we know because of the declaration right there in the middle of this story in Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 that we have victory. Let's read that declaration together. Revelation chapter 12 starting in verse 10. And I heard a great voice in the heavens saying, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come because the one who accuses our brothers has been cast down he who accuses them before our God night and day and they overcame him through the blood of the lamb and account of the word of their testimony And they did not love their life even in the face of death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and all those who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has been thrown down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a little time. We know that the victory is won. And so we as the church wage war. A war not for victory, but a war of victory. Jesus Christ defeated the enemy at the cross in his resurrection from the dead. And we are now battling a battle where the victory is won and our foe is defeated. But he has been given a little time to wage that battle. And he's focusing his efforts on the church. And the church wages war best as the church. The enemy is attacking the church and one of the clearest ways we see the attacks of the enemy on the church is is the attacks against the pastors and leaders of the church. 
You know, one of the ways that the enemy can destroy and wreck a local church planted in a community, be a light of the gospel, is to wreck the life of her pastor. You know, John Bassanio was the pastor at First Baptist Church in Houston, pastored there 30 years. When he was 21, his father-in-law, soon to be father-in-law, he's fixing to get married, and his father-in-law said to him, I want to I read to you what John said, his father-in-law said. He said, John, stay true to Jesus. Make sure that you keep your heart close to Jesus every day. It's a long way from here to where you're going, and Satan is in no hurry to get you. He said, it's been my observation that only one out of ten who start in full-time ministry for the Lord at 21 are still on track by the age of 65. They're shot down morally, they're shot down with discouragement or bad theology, or they get obsessed with money, but for one reason or another, nine out of ten fall out. When John's father-in-law told him that, John had a hard time believing it. And so what he did is he took his Bible and he wrote down in the open leaf of his Bible 24 names of his contemporaries that he knew and he knew loved the Lord that were going into ministry just like him. And what he would do over the years if one fell away from the Lord or fell away from ministry because of what tragedy was happening in life, he would cross their name out as somebody who fell to the attack of the enemy. So 21, he began doing that. 24 names. By the time he was 53, 21 of the 24 names were marked out. Our enemy wants to attack the pastor and the pastors in a church family. This may sound self-serving to you, but I want you to hear my heart on this. I came into a church as my first pastor whose pastor fell morally. And I had no idea what I was walking into, but I walked through the devastation that the enemy levied on that church for years. It was seven years of hard labor by me and others in the church that believed God could turn the story around before the turnaround occurred. I'm thankful to say that today, 17 years later, you walk into that church and you see no evidence of that devastation back in 1998. But it took seven years to even begin to see turnaround. Do you know that it, when the pastor falls in the church, that it takes years to recover? And the community tells the story of the fall of the pastor far more than they tell here the story of the truth of Jesus Christ. It wrecks a church family when the pastor or his family fall apart. Some churches never recover. Here's what I want you to hear. The enemy wants to destroy 
church families in our community by taking out their pastors and the pastor's family. And I need you to pray for me. I need you to stand in support of God's plan with me. If everything works perfectly in this place, it is hard enough to be the pastor. What I do not need is people in our church who say they love Christ fighting me. I want to make it like I came here not to fight people. I came here to fight for the souls of people in Williamson County. I believed that God called our family here because he had uniquely placed this church family to impact this county in a way that the kingdom of God needs to impact this county, to be a part of what God is doing and to significantly battle for the souls of people. I came here to join a new church family, not to fight with you, but fight against you, but to fight with you for the souls of people. I need you. Like, I want to finish. I want to give my life faithfully. I don't want the enemy to have his way. But I'm telling you, he attacks me and our family and your other pastors and their families and we as a church family must stand together because the battle is waged best as the church. I need you. Thank you. Now I want you to hear me say this. I know that the enemy does not just attack me and our pastors and our family. He is attacking those who hold the testimony of Jesus gathered in this place. He's attacking us all. You know what I do every Sunday? I have this, this little excerpt of an email right here in the front leaf of my Bible. This is an email written to me several years ago from somebody I loved deeply who is a church member just like you who walked away from Jesus Christ and his family and I put this excerpt in this email in my Bible so that I'm reminded every Sunday when I stand before you that just maybe God might use my sermon to help you continue to follow Christ because I know the enemy is attacking you every day. And he wants to break you down and turn you away from Christ. And I come every Sunday hoping and believing that God would use his word to keep us all following Christ. We need to follow Christ because this battle is best waged as the church. 
No doubt the enemy is attacking me. No doubt he is attacking you. But he's not just attacking individually. He's attacking us as the church. And do you know how the enemy wants to attack us as the church? He wants to do stuff in and among us so that we get talking about things and looking at things inside the church and we get distracted from our real battle and we start believing that the issues that we're facing in the church are the real problem. We start fighting with each other and complaining to each other and saying things about each other that are simply nothing more than a distraction from what we're really here for. We are here to battle for the hearts and souls of people. And we must not be distracted by battles and infighting in this place. We have got to focus on why we are here. And the enemy is the master accuser. You know what the enemy does? He comes alongside us and he convinces us that our brother and sister in Christ is as bad as we think they are, maybe even worse. We start having issues with our brothers and sisters complain about them, and we talk about them. The enemy is the master accuser. He comes alongside us and helps convince us that our pastor or our our other pastors are just as bad as we think they are, probably even worse. And all of a sudden, the enemy has his way with us, and we get distracted from the real spiritual battle. We cannot afford distraction. There are people who, if we don't tell them about Christ, will not know. And they will go to hell without Christ. The only reason we are still here, it's not because we have jobs. It's not to live a long life, retire, and and. Go off in the sunset. That's not why we are here. The reason we're still in the battle is so that we together would fight for the souls of people. They need us. And they will not have through us what God intends if we do not wage war as the church. There is no equal. The church has no equal. There's nothing like it. There is no substitute. There is nothing like the church of the living God. The church of the living God is how God intended for us to have and experience spiritual victory. So we step into our communities, out of this church family, and we are a light in the darkness. The church has no equal. It's the church where we experience protection. It's through the teaching of God's word and through the authority that God's established in the church with her leaders where we find protection from the enemy's error and deception. The church provides all of us direction as we long to follow Christ. Every one of us in this place, if we say, I want to follow Christ, guess what? God has given us the church family so that we might be encouraged to follow Christ, we have direction through the fellowship and the oversight and the leadership of the church. It's in the church that we experience correction. You know, every single one of us, myself included, have times where we have bad attitudes, bad thoughts, bad actions, bad beliefs. You know what we need? We need the authority of the church and the people in the church to come alongside us and say, if you keep down that path, you are going to stray from Christ and you'll hurt not only yourself but everybody around you. And we got more at stake than you can imagine. And we got to keep walking after Christ.
correction. The church provides exhortation. It's the church that comes alongside us and says, keep following Christ. Don't give up. I can think back to some of the markers in my life. One of the more significant markers in my life was when a group of people came to me and said, you're not walking with Christ the way you need to. And we're praying for you and we're standing here for you and we're expecting you to come and walk with Christ like you should. Exhortation, correction, direction, protection. Nothing is like the church. By God's design, there is no substitute. This is the key to experiencing spiritual victory in the attacks of the enemy so that we keep our focus on the real battle. Now, a lot of you have figured me out by now, and you know that I love bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. You know that. Now, bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream is good with hot fudge on it. It's good with chocolate syrup on it. It's good with M&Ms on it. It's good with Oreo cookies crushed up and sprinkled on it. Love that. It's good on, on top of a fresh baked chocolate chip cookie. Now we're talking. Good on a nice hot brownie, fudgy kind, you know, the gooey. Yeah, I like that. But here is why I love homemade bluebell vanilla. Because it can stand all by itself. It is great with nothing on it. I love that vanilla ice cream. Because it stands alone. Here's what I fear. I fear that far too many see the church as an add-on to what they've determined is essential. And what the Bible tells you and me is the church is essential. It's not an add-on to your life. If you think the church is optional for you to experience spiritual victory, then you are disobedient to Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, the Bible communicates to you that the church is essential for experiencing spiritual victory. And the battle that we wage is waged best as the church. There is no You know, the greatest illustrations of the church in the scripture are that the church is a body. The church is a family. How good is your arm severed from your body laying on the ground? How useful is your foot cut off from the rest of your leg? The reason the church uses that illustration of the body is to help us understand how important it is that we function in the church as a member of the church, seen as significantly as the members of our physical body. We together, walking in Christ, is how God intends for us to experience spiritual victory. There is no other way. The church is essential. The church is a family, and 
The way the church describes a family, it's not just a family of brothers and sisters. No, it's a family of brothers and sisters who are priests. Priests in this sense. We are priests in the sense that each one of us has access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we all can know God. We can walk with him. We can understand his word. We can have a relationship with him. Every single one of us has access to God through Jesus Christ equally. But it's in our access to God who is our Father that we are oriented to the fact that we are a family. And that my brothers and sisters are supposed to be a part of my pursuit of knowing God. Here's how the Bible describes knowing and pursuing God. We together understand the truth of God's Word. We together decide to walk and follow Jesus Christ. We are intended to be a family who follows the Father together. There is no equal. and We must wage war as the church. You know, spiritual battle is occurring right now in our community and in our church. Right now. Just over the last several months, a church that came out of First Baptist, a mission of First Baptist Terra Nova. Many of you know about Terra Nova. The enemy is attacking that body of believers and we need to be praying for Terra Nova. Her pastor's marriage has disintegrated. And we need to be lifting up their pastor and his family. He is seeking to be faithful to the Lord through this devastation. And we have obligation to that church family because they were born out of the ministries of this church. And we ought to be crying out to the Lord that he would rescue that pastor's family. And he'd bring them back together in reconciliation. And that that church would experience redemption and our community would see the gospel instead of the enemy having his way and wrecking a church for years. We need to pray for them. The enemy is at work. He's at work right here in this place. And as I've prayed through this sermon, I've asked the Lord to help me see what are the ways the enemy is attacking right now in our church family that I as the pastor need to address with our church family. And there are three things on my heart this morning that I think reflect the way the enemy is attacking our church family right now. Number one is gossip. When I came here as the lead pastor, I had more than one person come to me and say, in their own words, a stronghold of the enemy in the history of this church family is gossip. And I thought to myself, well, sounds a lot like a bunch of other churches. We're not unique. But it is a place, it is a place where the enemy is working right now. And so let me tell you about what I think about that. So when I think about what is gossip, in, in the description of the enemy's attack on our church. Here's what happens. People talk to other people in our church about things, circumstances, people, or leaders. About me, whoever. 
And when they talk about these things, these circumstances, these people, these leaders, what they say creates a temptation for the hearer of those things to become distracted from the real battle. And they start actually thinking that the problems in the church with people, things, or leaders are the real problem the church faces. Number one, it's a lie. Our real problem is not our problems. Our real problem is we've been planted in a community that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And we are the only way they're going to know. You may say to me, you've talked about the uniqueness of the church and how it has no equal. And every church that I've ever known is full of problems that you're just talking about. And finally somebody's saying what's really true. You're a bunch of messed up people. And I just want to say, if you're sitting there thinking the church is full of problems, well, I want to say to you, you're right. We're not going to cover that up. We're not going to pretend we're better than we are. We're going to talk about who we are and where we're going. But here's the thing. We've got to see this through the lens of Scripture. Because the fact that the church has people in it that have sin is not the problem. That's actually a part of the solution. So here's what people do. is They start looking at the church and all her problems, and then they reinterpret the truth. And they begin to say the church is not as essential as the Bible says it is, because if it were, it wouldn't have so many issues in it. And they dismiss the church as critical in their life because they see all the junk in the church. Here's what I want you to do. I want you today to flip the lens. And I want you to look at the church through the lens of the, of the Scripture. And here's what God says about the church. Before every one of us was in this place, as a member of the body of Christ, expressing our worship in a local body of believers, before we were ever here, do you know where we were? Lost in our sin. And Jesus Christ rescued us as sinners. People with a host of problems brought us into a community together with all of our problems. But here's the key. Our problems have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're in the midst of a whole bunch of issues, but we have a solution for all those issues. And what God wants us to do is to come in here and be so saturated with His grace and His love that He's expressed for us in the cross that we look at our brother and sister who has a host of problems. We look at all of our problems and we say, you know what? It's a good thing that Jesus Christ has forgiven us. He showered us with His grace and he has a purpose for getting us out of our problems it's just a whole lot better if we just say yeah we we do have problems but here's the thing Jesus Christ is doing a work in us so that I will love my brother and sister even when they hurt me I will forgive even when it's difficult because Jesus Christ has forgiven me. And all of a sudden, everything changes. And the place that is full of people with sin are now full of people whose sin is being redeemed, whose lives are being redeemed, sins are being changed. And the world now sees a people who are gathered together to wage the real battle. I'm going to tell you right now, some of the churches in Houston, 
They got nothing in their church except a roof over the building because they ripped out every wall, every carpet, everything. And all they got is this structure and they got people in there. You know what's happened? A bunch of their stuff has become really secondary and they're really focused on loving the people around them. And they're doing what God called them to do and they don't have time to create problems with themselves. You know what I'm convinced of? That 95% of the issues that happen in the church between us are because we're not out there telling people about Jesus Christ. And we've got too much time on our hands to worry about our brother and sister's little issues. If we will engage in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'll see everything different. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ affects us most when we are engaging other people with the gospel. So here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do in the area of gossip. Somebody comes up to you and starts talking about something, about someone, about some leader. And you feel like, man, this is a temptation for me to get distracted from what really matters here. Just kindly tell that person, I hear what you're saying, but I just want to encourage you to talk to someone who's actually in charge of that something. Please go talk to that person you're telling me about. Because when you tell me about that, that tempts me to forget that I'm supposed to be about helping others follow Christ. And our church needs to be a really good picture of God's love. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you that you go talk to that person. I'm going to give you a week to do it. If you don't do it in a week, I'm going to come back and we're both going to go together. And we're going to talk to that person. Here's what will happen if you do that. They'll stop telling you. Number one. Number two, you'll be the church. I got no problem with the fact that we got people talking about things. You know what? I fall into that temptation just like you. But here's what we need to be. We need to be the kind of people that will say to that person who's talking about things, stop talking about it, let's go to it, and let's deal with it together because Christ wants us to be so focused on winning people to Christ that we don't have these issues here distracting us from the real battle. This is a war. Okay, the second area is the area of giving. Now, all the studies today tell us that the average church has a very small percentage of its members who are supporting the work of the ministry through giving. So I've not done all the studies here, and I'm, not, I'm certainly not telling you that we're just average. I don't know what we are, but I do know this. That this is an area where the enemy attacks every single church. Because every church done in the studies indicates that there is a significant percentage, sometimes around 25 to 30 percent of people in the church that do not give one penny to support the church and would say, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm really glad I'm a part of this church. Now that is spiritual defeat. Now here's what I'm saying. If we want to fight this battle as the church, all of us in this place who are followers of Christ, who know this is the place we've been called to gather, here's what we need to do. Just give as God enables us to give for the work of the gospel in Williamson County and the world. If we would just begin to do that, I'm going to tell you, you cannot imagine the impact we can make. Do you know how many campuses and church we can plant in just Williamson County if every single person in this church gave as God enabled them to give? It would be unbelievable. Do you know how many people we could send out and support in missions all over the world? Unbelievable. 
The enemy wants us to be impotent because we cannot do what God wants us to do because her people do not give. I don't want that to be our story, right? And the third area is the gospel. I've already alluded to the gospel. We need to be sharing our faith. And all the studies, Barna Research and Lifeway Research, they tell us that the great majority of people in the church believe they should share their faith. But a very small percentage of people actually go out and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I was shocked by this finding. I found in one of the studies that somewhere just over 50% or so of people in the church are, are not even willing to invite somebody to the church where they would hear the gospel. If, if we're here in the battle to tell people about Jesus Christ, is it any surprise that the enemy is rendering church after church after church silent in regard to proclaiming the gospel? That cannot be us. That cannot be us. We are living in a place where God is bringing people from all over. Fat, one of the fastest growing places. Do you not think that that coincides with the responsibility of the church to share the gospel? We have to proclaim the gospel. If that scares you, if it makes you uncomfortable, if you feel like you don't know what to say, you feel like you, you might mess it up, guess what? The enemy is your accuser. It's no wonder you feel those things. But here's the truth. The moment you meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are 100% equipped to talk about your Savior. You can tell Him. You can tell Him your story. God will work and people will be saved. This is a battle. It's best waged as the church. You know, when a Roman citizen in Jesus' day decided to become a, a member of the Roman army, he took an oath of allegiance. And that was an oath that said, I'm giving up my life for my commander. I will do everything he says. I will only eat, sleep, and exercise and all the routines explicitly to fulfill the command of my general. They live 100% to battle for land and power. We're in a much more significant battle. You know what Jesus says about the battle? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says that he establishes his church. Jesus Christ is the reason we will continue to become the church he wants us to be. And he says in Matthew 16 that he establishes the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You know that verse, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Think about what that picture is saying to us. Throughout Williamson County, we have an enemy who is defeated, who has set up fortresses in areas of our county. And he has set up a fortress against the truth of the gospel and has erected a gate holding fast that fortress. But notice, the picture is of a defensive posture 
Our enemy is taking up a defensive posture throughout our county, building fortresses where he erects gates, closes them, holds them fast against the attack of the church. The church is on the offensive. The Bible describes the enemy as as attacking. But make no mistake, the enemy's attack are of a defensive nature because he's already defeated. And all he can do is set up gates to try to keep us out. But the power of the gospel says that the gates cannot hold against the church. The question is, are we ready to be that kind of church? Your pastors are ready. God has been working in our lives in a dramatic way. And we are all at a point of humility and unity. And we are ready to storm the gates of hell in Williamson County with our church family. And bust open those gates and lead people to Christ. And we want to know if you're ready. That's why we're all here, right? 